Hey everyone, uh, welcome to Tintamar, a podcast on how and why artists create in an ever-changing contemporary art world. I'm Jacob Broussard, and I am talking with painter Gerald Sheffield today. Um, Gerald is a great friend of mine, and I am so excited to share with you guys all of his wisdom and generous spirit. Um, Gerald is super thoughtful, and I really, really enjoyed this conversation. So a little bit about Gerald. Um, He got his BFA from the School of Visual Arts in New York and his MFA in Painting and Printmaking at the Yale School of Art in New Haven. And he's exhibited his work here in New Haven and in Los Angeles and New York. Gerald was also awarded the 2018-2019 Fulbright Arts Award to conduct research in Uzbekistan. In our conversation, we speak on his nomadic practice for the past couple of years, um, how his work occupies the margins and giving into his own facility in order to reach his conceptual goals as a painter. Gerald's work examines relationships to space and place, empathy, architecture, and nationalism. We also talk about his time in the military and his decision to pursue art. Onto the conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Okay, Gerald, so I'm just going to start by asking you, um, where are you right now? So I'm in my studio. I'm in downtown LA. It's about 10 minutes from where I live, and because there's no traffic, pretty much, it's from door to door. I just get out of my apartment and drive down. Yeah. My girlfriend drops me off. Before the quarantine, um, you were teaching art lessons uh, in your studio space, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'm still doing it, like, through Zoom, you know, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's the main place that I come to teach, but also I have these large paintings that I'm working on out of the studio as well. So, Gerald, I wanted to ask you, um, tell us a little bit about your narrative. Um, how did you sort of fall into art making? Was there a certain experience mm-hmm. that allowed that for for you? Oh, absolutely. A lot of people would say I was drawing as a kid. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. My dad was a security guard for the Atlanta High Museum of Art. And so as early as like maybe four or five, I was always kind of like running through the halls and, you know, he would take me to work with them. And so I kind of grew up with that. Um, And my parents were separated when I was young. So I moved from living with my dad to moving with my mom. And so I just always kind of drew as a kid. My life took a detour and uh, I joined the uh, army uh, right out of high school. But I did take a lot of photos of my experiences in the military and when I deployed to Iraq in 2007 and 2008, I think I had an existential crisis, actually. And I was just like, what am I doing here? You know, I got so far away from everything that I enjoyed. You know, I was in these units that were very sort of like, you have to be just macho strong. And it was a different set of terms that I was working with. And I think when I was deployed, I had time. And it just like the the circumstances really 
push me towards thinking like, what do I want to do outside of, like, I don't want to do this forever. When I got back from my deployment, time was coming, running out from my military contract. So I applied to school and um, I think I wanted to figure out a way to combine what I did in the military versus along with what my aspirations were. And so I applied to the School of Visual Arts in the advertising program. And so I thought like, it'll be pragmatic for me. Early on in that program, I took a foundation painting class and I was like, oh no, this is like really what, I, you know, it was like yeah. free. Advertising was, it was an extension of what I had already experienced in the military about there's, you know, a clear deadline. There was, there was a, uh, barriers of what you could and couldn't do. And I asked to switch over to fine art and that freaked, there was all these opportunities to kind of create. And it wasn't very medium specific, especially at SVA. It was just, they were pushing like all kinds of things. So it was just the opportunity that I had access to like all these different ways of expressing myself. And what was the time uh, between yeah. undergraduate and grad school? What was that like for you? Um, so in undergrad, I studied abroad in Rome and some of my professors, they encouraged me to apply to grad school. You know, they explained to me like, you know, the MFA program and it's a more intentional place to develop. And I think where I was, like SVA was also this transition period from the military to civilian. There was all these growing pains that I also had with that. They saw there was like, you know, this is an opportunity. Like you're you're just now like getting into this. So when I applied to Yale, you know, I kind of went in with somewhat uh, naivete about like, you know, what the whole politics and, you know, market pi pipeline and all that stuff that I just wasn't, I, I, it just wasn't on my radar and up until like maybe midway through. I definitely thought grad school was an opportunity to kind of work on the things that I was weak at and and use that opportunity to like have a space. And also I think the crit like is a big part of the program, especially mm -hmm. the painting program. And so I just wanted to know if what I was doing and the things that I was doing was in conversation with like a lot of people that I was interested in as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I spoke with Amaryllis yes, or, uh, a couple days ago about her decision mm -hmm. on on going to Yale or just even applying to grad school. And um, her response was just that she looked up a bunch of artists that she really admired and mm. started poking around and seeing like who went to grad school, who didn't. Yeah, um, yeah. And a lot of those artists did come out of Yale, but, um, but also, you know, there's so many, there's so many different ways of being an artist or, you know, existing in the world or uh, mm -hmm. like you, you don't need an MFA, of course. Um, yeah. However, it's if there's a specific need, like what you're mentioning and getting sort of that critical backbone that Yale is very specific in terms of its feedback. Um, I know for me, it's like I came from a state school in Louisiana. <laughs> uh, very little criticality. I mean, it was critical in its own way, but it was more, my undergrad was more. Which is like, which is, which is kind of like, it's just so interesting for you to kind of like 
preference that background because I mean, wait, I, I love your paintings, by the way. You know, it's like when I saw your paintings at, at, at Yale, I was like, oh man, this guy really can paint, you know, like in the way that like I really enjoy moving through painting. So, so, so it's, it's really interesting to hear you kind of like say like, oh no, it just wasn't, like, <laughs> it wasn't within like the pedigree of like, you know, like, uh, well, yeah, and maybe, maybe that's a good thing. You know? No, totally. I'm so, I mean, now that I'm on the other side, like I feel like grad school is this weird experience where you like pray that you don't get squeezed through the system and come out <laughs> on the other side, like Play-Doh. But uh, yeah, no, I like looking back on it. I'm so, <laughs> I know that, that great analogy. Uh, I looking back on it, I'm yeah, so it was. grateful. Perfect for the foundational skill building and just like level of curiosity mm -hmm. that that place uh, really provided for me. I remember it just being sort of this huge insecurity of like, man, am I like not considering these things? Is, is this mm. just like indulgent painting? Um, that's just, you know, uh, like medium specific and that's all that it, that's going for it. So I don't know, that was a reason why, you know, I ended up going after Yale um, or just pursuing grad school in general. Um, mm -hmm. But, and, and thank you for the compliment about my paintings. I feel, I feel very, very, very similar about your work too. And it's interesting, like seeing the work that you made while you were a student and then the work that you are currently on the track of making like that period of time um, between graduation and now. So catch us up to speed a little bit on um, the experiences that you've had so far. I mean, you've been pretty nomadic, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> doing lots of different yeah. different roles and positions. Give us a little bit of that narrative of- uh, Yeah, I left grad school with a lot of interesting propositions. It almost like made that working through those nomadic periods uh, a lot easier um, because there was such a strong sense of uh, understanding of what my work was, how it fit, like how people observed it, what what decisions I made in the studio that garnered a certain level of attention and, and vocab. And it, you know, that's all like internal Yale stuff. After grad school, I was kind of like, I knew that I was wanting to apply to the Fulbright. So I was doing research. Um, I was working in, in school, halfway through school, I started doing work about my experience in the military. So that came up too. And I was trying to figure out how to bring closure to that part of my life, but also kind of move forward and thinking about, you know, what is the next step and how do I embody a lot of the things that I had learned in, in, in school. And so I knew that I wanted to kind of work across cultural boundaries, like returning to a region that was just like right there where like the military occupation had been and exploring the margins of of, of that Mer American imperialism and and the residue of like what that means and and, and picking up those pieces to understand some a whole a, a larger picture you know I had applied to everything after grad school I didn't get anything so I was like in New Haven and I was just kind of steadily working and but also just stressed you know and really anxious and you know I had just started in a relationship with Ashanti and you know, she was like, look, you, you look really horrible. I have this year that I'm studying or doing my research in Hawaii. I'm from Hawaii. So, you know, maybe you should come. 
you know, and I was like thinking really hard. It's, it's funny in retrospect, because it was just like, oh man, why did I like, you know, why did I question that? You know, yeah. I, was, I was really, I was suspicious of that. And I was like, I don't want to go somewhere. And I was like, I don't know. You like, even if it, you know, it sounds good on paper, Hawaii, but I was like, I, you know, I'm in a very precarious place. So like when, it, when I went there, it was everything I needed. It was like time and space. I didn't have the same external stimuli that I had in New Haven and New York. So how do my ideas fit in like this vacuum, you know? And so then it was like, okay, you know, I got interested in sort of this site specific work and how the work reflected like the area that I was in. So I did like site specific installations. I went to North Adams for a residency. Uh, right. That was something that I had planned to see for. I went to North Adams. By the end of my residency in, in North Adams, I got the word that uh, I got selected for the Fulbright. And then it was originally for Oman, yeah. And um, I think they were never clear about why, you know, it didn't go. And, you know, they, the closest thing I got to an explanation was, you know, somebody at the State Department was like, look, some things are just higher than you, you, you know, it's not about you. It's mm. like sometimes there are things that are between governments that prevent, you know, stuff like this. And it was like, don't feel bad. You know, you still got it. You know, and I was like, well, you know, I had planned for this, you know, and right. I don't have anything lined up. <laughs> and so I was like, it's like, you know, there is there anything? And I remember at the orientation, they were just like, oh, you know, there, you can transfer to different places. So uh, I asked about a different location that my proposal fit and they offered Uzbekistan. And, you know, it's like they really like the project and they really want you to come over and kind of teach. And um, and so, yeah, and, I, and in the project, I was honest about like challenging stereotypes and, and, and living in a Muslim culture and seeing the nuance of that in a way that that challenges sort of our own perceptions of you know, non-Westerns. Um, and then at the, time, at the time, that was like the biggest thing was like the Muslim ban. So that was like sort of me like going straight forward into sort of a space that like was about empathy and tolerance and understanding. So that was kind of like where it was coming from. Thinking about that body of work and thinking about what you had made in school and that transition into coming from this place, this very like high pillared, institution and really boots on the ground um, moving across borders and boundaries, right? I, I always think of your paintings as occupying sort of the periphery and really grappling with foreign and domestic and then also that a reconsideration of Western representation, especially in painting, pulling apart those notions of uh, and those limitations of what representation can be through painting. You were working with architecture as well. You were looking at architecture of that region to inform some of the the visual things that you were working with. In in kind of researching the architecture, I was fascinated at the potential influence that it had on the culture. And I someone had gave me this term while I was there. It was like spatial anthropology. How do people navigate their spaces and, and construct their identity around their around their given location? So architecture became a really interesting like space to navigate and be able to travel. And so that was kind of like the tool. I was like, okay, architecture will be the landmark by which I like like orient 
the rest of the work. And when I did some of the architectural paintings I did in grad school, it was like people couldn't locate and find a sense of space and, and place. So I, I just went full head on with thinking about architecture, thinking about found materials and how deconstructing, you know, the thing that is, is in front of us. Totally. And that yeah. we take for granted. I, what I caught of your work whenever I visited was um, you were working on these two-dimensional paintings and then you had these like three-dimensional elements that were either positioned or postured in front of the pieces, but really sort of negotiating space. And it sounds like what your investigations led you to um, was that negotiation of space or bodies moving through space. How does architecture dictate like movement within space um, mm -hmm. and how those are all foundational painting ideas very much? Yeah, yep, yep. Um, yeah. And then one thing too that I think about when I look at your work is um, you really have this great ability of building up surface through um, gestures and traces. I always think of your work as like very additive and I know of course you like paint over things or erase things, but it's, it's the trace, right? It feels like the trace is like really important. Um, yeah, yeah. And I don't know, I think of that in terms of memory, like the, the canvas is yep. absorbing memory. <laughs> what, is yeah, the, yeah. what is the trace of memory? Um, if you could speak a little bit about that. So where those paintings ended and some of the questions I couldn't really answer at the time, I'm now addressing that now, is how do I construct that space? How do, how do like the, the environment that the figures and the ground and, and, the, and the, the, the landscape, how all of those interact with each other. Before it was like, okay, I'm, I, was, I was projecting, I understood that I was projecting a lot onto that ambiguous space or that space that was almost like when things are taken out or when things are covered over. I think, and, and I think like now I'm better understanding, like there are moves that I was trying to make or even afraid to make, you know, in those paintings that now I'm kind of understanding, uh, you know, there's things that paint can do. There's things that drawing does that creates the space that focuses the attention. I can, I can sit there and say that something's beyond the margins or there are things that aren't seen beyond the margins, but I can also show that as well. You know, what, what, what drawing does, what did drawing mean as a proposition, but also then how do we understand and accept the finished painting and, and where, the image kind of constructs and has a meaning. I was definitely interested in this space outside of the margins. Part of it came from studying abroad from the travels, but also kind of seeing the images that were expected of me and also expected of the, the subjects that I was doing and how that already had a, a meaning and expectation to that. And then kind of challenging and disrupting that. People will get irritated that it just wasn't, you know, and I, I I also knew that, you know, yeah. and I was like, well, this is also like, this is a thing that I'm trying to translate as well. It's like this frustration with, with, with dealing with images that already have meaning and, and, and questioning those meanings. I think a lot about this question now too, now that I'm outside of school, the things that were told to me in studio visits that had the intention of bettering the work that yeah. I couldn't yep. hear at that moment yep. in time. Yep. I yep. like I heard it, but it didn't make sense. And I remember writing yeah. these things <laughs> down because I'm like, shit, this is gonna like 
this is going to be some come to Jesus like information later on once I'm outside of school and I've had that distance. I had one of my core critics was just like really, really hard on me. Um, and I remember sort of just feeling like, what gives? Like why, you know, I yeah. took it personal. And I think it, it had a lot to do with like the tonality of, you know, that receive of that information being relayed over to me. But when I look of back course. on the notes and the notes don't have any sort of tone attached to it, I'm like, oh man, he was like spot on. Like I, and that, you know, that's, there's always going to be those transitional moments within your work where you're trying to negotiate things and people come in and like break ankles with you, like drop knowledge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, oh fuck, like I'm not ready to hear this. <laughs> like give me five years, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I'm so grateful to have those notes because now I'm looking back on them and I'm like, wow, like this is, this is this was my problem and now I can see what they were talking about because I've had that distance. Yeah. But like you were saying, it's like you have your your initial investigations that you kind of you plant the seeds when you're in school and you're testing out all these guinea pig experiments and how much you get these like reverberations or these echolocations within that that those gestures and how those then inform yeah. what you do for the next like five, ten years. Yes. So I just had this like conversation with Alex. I, I have to like name drop them, but like, you know, you talked about like practicing, right? And like the idea of like practicing over a number of paintings, but then eventually like getting to the point where it's no longer about practice and more about like just implementing the thing that you've been trying to work towards. And it, it never made so much sense till now where I have time and stability to kind of look at the work and let it sit the thing that I do the thing that you do Jacob is you will always like no matter where the reference or where the source material comes from there's something that you're, you're always going to solve the problems with a certain set of like skills and you're going to react to a certain set of like conditions whether it's an installation film or or anything and I think that like that's a really interesting space where now there's like this time to play and I kind of was like, oh, every, like, all of this stuff is like, like what I've learned up to this point. But then there's a moment where there's an issue within the work that you're like, oh, okay. Where everything I've done up to this point is like, okay, figuring out how to work myself out of this. And, you know, sometimes it's muddy and you have to trust and you're like, oh, this looks really ugly. And it's like, okay, how do I work myself? But then it's like, you know what you have to do, right? I could lean back on this easy thing and, and that'll be okay and then it's sometimes like well you know where the criticism is coming from and totally. it's like no you need to like solve this yeah and solving this is an artist move yeah right yeah and absolutely it's having the awareness of understanding like what are my what are my bag of tricks like what do i kind of default go to mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. am i am I making these habits where I'm rendering something or representing something a specific way that I am under investigating like other options or other possibilities? I think that's the mm -hmm. biggest thing. Like art, our painting in general offers so many possibilities where we can take these foundational things like color, line, shape, and mm -hmm. really sort of hold them for what they are but also challenge them like there's so much you can do within that um and there's so many different decisions that you can make but yeah it's it's that remaining 
self-aware of what we're doing, it's hard. It's just like those moments of transition. I'm feeling one right now in my studio and I'm like, damn, I'm sort of defaulting going back to working a way that I was working, a frame of mind that I was working with in undergrad, just reinvestigating my relationship to painting. And so now I'm getting back to a place where look at the materiality of paint, what paint can actually do. Cause there's so much you can do with materiality. Mm -hmm. It's like, it is yes. material. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, exactly. I kind of relearning the rules over and over and over again, you know? Yeah. You're going in there with something that already has a meaning behind it. And so kind of accepting that and then let that free you up to, to just make the moves and the marks you want to make. And I think, you know, like when we're dealing with painting, right? It's like on canvas, you know, it's rectangle, you know, it's like, yeah, you already accept those terms. And I think right. even early on, I was trying to challenge that. Photography does one thing, film does another thing. You don't, you can question within it, but do that with the moves that you already know how to make, right? You know, all the time, there are things that existed outside of the painting that I was trying to articulate. You know, and, it, and it's like, it's really satisfying when someone makes the comment of like, oh man, you know, like this part is very clear and I understand, but then beyond the margins, it becomes very sort of precarious. And I'm like, okay, that's when, you know, it's like when people start to comment on like the actual moves that you make and yeah. I had to accept like painting, you know, and not think about like, okay, yeah, the figure already has this, you know, it, all these things already have a narrative to them, you know, right. so like, how do you work with that, you know? Yeah, challenging the form in, a, in and of itself, like challenging painting um, has produced a lot of really amazing, incredible work and new, new understandings of what painting is and what it can of be course. or what the image can be. However, when I look at that, I'm like, those aren't my concerns. I'm interested in that work, but I'm way more interested in like the yeah. format of painting. Like I think with school, there was this yep. constant yep. like searching for content, content, content. What's my content? But then mm -hmm. at the same time, I was just interested in the format of painting. So yeah. regardless of what I make, the content is already embedded in the thing that I'm doing regardless. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but how can I make a painting interesting? How can I make like the best painting that I can and every single painting being an opportunity to learn something. Then that starts to lead into like, you needing more paintings to, you know, you need to make more paintings in order to, to like get that thing out. And then it becomes like, then it snowballs into like, oh, you have like this body of work. Right? Totally. Yeah. It's a oh God. That's like the best feeling when you like, you're just like, I don't know what I'm doing. And then you turn around and you're like, oh, holy shit. I have like, 60 paintings in my studio, yeah, you know, exactly, exactly. maybe there's like yeah. 10 that are like, that are good, but like, I've been, I've been working. I have something to show for it. Um, Gerald, tell me a little bit about your process with um, going through the Fulbright. What was that like that year basically of preparation for it? I would say the Fulbright community is really generous. Um, you know, one of the things they recommend is reaching out to people either who are in the country that you want to do your research or, or teach. Um, also just look out for people in your field who've done it before. So I'm a big proponent of like asking people who, who are doing it and people who've done it. And so I get like these different perspectives and I know I have aspirations of wanting something. And so I did the same thing with grad school as well. So it's like, you just ask around and like, it was just a different 
community. They were, everybody was just like, oh, you're applying? Like, okay. And then they just dumped all this information on me. You know, they told me exactly who to talk to. And there's a few things that they suggest when you're writing your proposal is basically like what happens if, you know, your thing doesn't go through. And that happens maybe like 90% of the time. You just, you apply for something and you go there and then it's like, oh, this, no, we don't do that here. You're not going to do that here, you know? So like being kind of like having like a plan B and C and, and being like flexible, they encourage that. I knew that I had some experience, like just being overseas from my time in the military. I had worked in the embassy as one of my first assignments. So in South America, so like I flipped the narrative and said like, this is the end of like what I want to do. You have to go through a period of waiting and then it goes to approval from the state, the Fulbright Commission, uh, the State Department, and then like the, the country that you're applying to, the embassy in the country. As, as a researcher, you're on your own. So it's like navigating like language barrier, cultural barriers, and you know, you show up and people are like, who are you? You know, it's like, so you have to like, you know, but uh, a lot of times it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a really interesting experience as far as like being under the state department too, because you're doing a lot of diplomacy and you're meeting a lot of people, like you're going out to like villages, at least that's how my experience was going out to villages and and talking to people and sharing experience of like, they wanted to know like, what was it like? What's it like to be an American? And what's it like to be an African-American? And they're, they're really curious about a lot of uh, the American history. And there are some things as far as like in Central Asia, them being sort of a former uh, colony of like the Soviet Union, the Soviet Union being a colonizer and kind of seeing that side you know, as another side of like the Western colonial experiment. It was really interesting too. So I, I had a lot to share that was like anecdotal for people who like, what was the West like? So it was, yeah, yeah. so I had that opportunity. And I remember hearing socially, it was a very, there was a lot of interaction while you were there. <laughs> like having alone time was very, very rare. <laughs> Yeah, like they they thought they like okay, so they're very social and it's a very community oriented culture and society, and a lot of that's a residue from like the Soviet Union, but also just in general, um, you know, everyone takes care of one another, and so when I would ask for, you know, when I was like, hey, you know, I just need my time, you know, to like process, they really didn't understand it. They were like, you know, what do you do when you're at home alone? And I was like, well, I just I'm alone, you know, I, I think I read, they were like, but you know, is there something wrong? Like, are you, are you depressed? I was like, no, I just need, like, I need time to recover and like process what's going on. It was like, I was, you know, going to weddings, like traveling around the country and there's just so much. And for, and it's, and there's a lot of incredible hospitality and so, uh, and it's a little bit aggressive and they'll tell you that too. It's like, you know, like, you know, our, we, we, we do hospitality well, but we're, you know, we can be aggressive about it. Um, yeah. So, you know, it was just like really intense social time. Like mm. it was very intense. It was, you know, everybody would be like the school, the entire school would be called into an auditorium and then I'll, you know, be given the microphone like on the spot, you know? And so, or, 
I would be invited to dinners and I would be the guest of honor. So I had a seat like at the end of the table where wow. everybody was like, you know, was just kind of hosting, you know, and that, that was just a part of their, their culture. So I felt really taken care of in a, in a, in a way, but it was really intense personality wise because I also was just confronted with sort of my own Western values in a sense of like individuality and, and sort of, like, you know, thinking on my own terms. And that was a place where it's just like you had to negotiate being in a group and, and yeah, and yeah, community oriented. Yeah. And it's interesting thinking of this experience. I, if I recall correctly, um, you were talking about earlier in this conversation, you were talking about um, yourself as like almost like an anthropologist in a, in a way. Um, and I've always, yeah. your work has always had this anthropological quality to it, um, whether that's through materiality or whether that's through finding things, collecting things, repurposing them within, within your work. I was confronting with this Western anthropologist and confronting head on sort of this Orientalist perspective that even I thought like I was sort of not a part of, like being an, an African-American in the context of like being somewhere that is just completely the opposite of what I was um, accustomed to and used to, you know, I, it was like, I couldn't deny how connected I was to the West, what I was doing as like an actor abroad and, and, and coming back, trying to synthesize like all of that stuff, which so I've given myself like a year and that's still probably not enough time. There's all these like really interesting moments of, irony contradiction that i was like this is really fascinating like cotton labor being like a really big part of the economy in uzbekistan and you know how cotton labor was in the u.s versus how it was in the soviet union and the relationship to it towards like the obligation towards the state versus like a form of exploitation and and, and violence and and capital there are things that i was just like okay this thing doesn't mean the same things. So for instance, representation of cotton has different symbolism in the U.S. than it does in Uzbekistan. And in some ways, there's a sense of pride for Uzbek. Trying to figure that out is over a, a number of drawings, over speaking it out loud, saying things that just can't be imagined. And you know, then that becomes like the space where it's like, oh, this is a painting you know, and I can do certain things with a painting that's not just like reproducing the thing that I'm talking about, but actually articulating it through line and gesture and, and color. It's like the problems are really good problems that I, I have that are working themselves out. I did set the challenge of, of, of actually trying to create a, a series of, of, of paintings and drawings that spoke to that experience. It's no longer like every painting is this proposition for like, you know, this thing, the painting already exists, you know, in, right. in, my, in my studio, the logic of the painting already exists. So that's been fun because now I can just work and I kind of got this freedom to, to do something within that. The problems are staring at me in a way that's very visible and that I completely understand. Uh, <laughs> someone has said to me, but someone's like, you're getting lucky with your composition, but I don't think you know what you're doing. 
And I was like, I don't understand what that means. (laughs) And I was like really upset, you know, because I really prided myself on like constructing the composition. So I knew exactly where I was and what wasn't working. But I think the part that stung was always just like, you don't know exactly what is staring back at you Mm. sometimes. And I think, and that was my interpretation. Obviously, I don't think you know, I think now, like with time, obviously, like you said, and like not having, you know, just seeing the critique on paper, it makes perfect sense. All the paintings don't work, you know, right. and you just got to keep moving on. You get got to keep, you know, and that's where it's like now the things that didn't work in earlier paintings, the mistakes that I made, it's like they're coming back now in more successful strategies. So I'm starting to see that now. We were talking about habits earlier. I'm doing this thing and I know it. I'm like conscious of it. I'm like, (laughs) God damn it, I did it again. Where if I have an image that comes to me that's like in my head, I'm like, oh, that would make an interesting painting. I'll usually take the easy route where it's like, bam, like shove it right in the middle of the painting and not consider the other options of Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. composing um, or creating, setting up a situation. You were, you were talking about setting up a situation. I got chills thinking about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just like taking the source or whatever your sources are and just planting them in the middle. It's like, okay, now you're setting up the conditions within the composition to articulate exactly what that thing, that idea that inspired you. And so like now I'm starting to see like, oh, you know, the idea is an inspiration for the painting. But then like, after that, there's a set of tools that I already have that I need work setting up that condition. I always wanted to be a part of a certain conversation or a part of a certain thing. And, you know, I was projecting onto what I wanted to be a part of instead of like seeing that like already come with a set of experiences that are already interesting to the, to the work, you know? So whatever inspires me, like that is great. But then it's like, what do I do within that? thinking about what you're talking about being part of a conversation, right? A larger conversation surrounding certain ideas. Um, I think there's so much focus sometimes on the artists considering who the audience is, which is important, which is a good, Mm -hmm. healthy practice. However, I've noticed that I bring to the table my own set of skills that you were talking Mm -hmm. about, my own set of skills, my own set of uh, ideas and a way of thinking that is like very specific to me based on those experiences, who I am as a person, how those things metastasize and take shape through my hand, like through my facility and my abilities. And I think for the longest time, I like didn't trust my facility. Whenever I step back, I'm like, no, I have like a lot of facility. Like, so don't question that, Jacob, just like, just run with it. Like, um, and let that be the vehicle for your ideas. Your audience will follow after that, you know, it's not- Exactly, and the, the audience will follow. And that's like, when I saw your paintings for the first time, I was like, this was exciting. That's why I was so excited about those works. Cause oh. I was like, oh man, this guy can paint. And what I meant, not like, oh, you understand how to make an image or, you know, it's like you, like you were making choices that I was interested in following through the painting, you know? I was interested in like the way you were seeing the world, you know, and the way the things you you were creating, you know? And I think that like, I don't have to come from your background 
it directs me right where I see where the light comes from and where you know the landscape that it's in then I'm like whoa this is a really funky landscape and yeah. then, you know <laughs> then you start to say the things that are right. like a part of the, the subject I feel similarly with your work as well I remember seeing your work for the first time and seeing it grow and where you are now and and there is such a emotional resonance to the work that I feel like is so um, felt that is so specific and the way in which you're sort of collapsing those things like actual emotion and then also like the way that you're building the image right when I think of good painting or I uh, painting that I really like it's what you were talking about how you sort of can follow the artist's way of thinking and composing you can understand how they built the image in a way that's like whoa that's really interesting and bizarre like and that's something that i think is very specific with your work and how much it resonates or how much it it holds on to the soul that's like connected to the work that i really really love and um oh, thanks Jacob. yeah <laughs> what does creative satisfaction look like for you right now a few professors have said, you know, what would you make if you, you know, if you didn't have any obligation, if you didn't feel any like outside exter external pressures to, to make something, what would you make? And, you know, that's kind of like where you will find yourself like the most satisfied. And, and I, and I, I, I like to think being in Uzbekistan was this somewhat I sometimes joke that it was like self-imposed exile, <laughs> but like it was, it was such a great space to be away from a lot of the noise and, and, and expectations of what I should do, what I should be making. That's actually what helped me get back to painting in a more intentional way is because I was able to cut out so much noise and expectation and I was just there and just the environment that I was in, I had to be confronted with my thoughts and also just history. Imagining what the things that you do when, when there are no external expectations. And that thing is, there's some, there's some value to that. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting. All the artists that I've talked to, they've mentioned like freedom, lack of distraction as being like those yeah. are the things that like allow for the work to really take place um we had caught up recently and i remember you mentioning saying that you were applying you were going to go after two opportunities this next year and we're talking about distraction you knew the things that were going to actually fuel your work and fuel opportunities for yourself i just finished applying basically a year of applications. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I know what man, that's like. It's exhausting. And yeah, like you were saying, right after grad school, it's like, apply to everything, apply to everything. And that was feedback that I got from mentors and professors was like, I wish it would have applied to everything. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna make it a thing in this weird in-between time to like go after a lot of things. However, by doing that, I realized I was, I felt good that I was, going after things and I was putting my name in a bunch of different hats and some of those panned out and a lot of them didn't. Um, but the thing that I noticed after a while was the energy that those applications required and how mm -hmm. much I had to sort of step back and be like, hold on, like I am every single application. I'm trying to convince this panel that I'm like the right person that mm -hmm. I, um, 
am blank enough, that I'm smart enough, that I'm like qualified enough that, and it's just like really exhausting. It's so exhausting. <laughs> and every single yeah. application comes with, with its own uh, requirements or its own uh, focused intentions. So um, I don't know. I just think it's so great that you have that sense of clarity. And I know for me, it's like, I'll get distracted by a lot of the noise of other artists that get accolades of or get of course. things or resonances. And it's like this internal dialogue that I have to check myself. And it's like, Ooh, why am I mm -hmm. feeling a pang of, I don't know, envy or a pang of like not worthy. Yeah. It's also just like understanding that, you know, not every opportunity is meant for you and that's fine. It's almost like, what are the things that are going to going to benefit the work? Exactly. External validation helps, you right. know, and it's like at some point we're all seeking that, but also like not getting things opens up opportunities. You know, not getting something is also just not a reflection on you. You know, and it's like, I try to tell you all the time, like, I love your work, you know, and it's like, you, you're really an amazing painter. Oh. And like social media is a big magazine. It's just selling a lot of the idea of what something is, you know, right. I, like we talked about this before, just catching up, you know, I'm competitive. I get envious, but I also just, I'm really like happy for the people who've gotten the things that they got. I like the work the conversations around certain things are, are maybe a lot more overwhelming than like the, the, the work. Yeah. It's just like how it's marketed and projected as like, if you don't do this, you know, I think the, the, the silver lining is maybe more localized totally. like solutions, you know, so that people feel part of a community and don't feel like, you know, they have to like go across the globe just to get validation. The thing about being an artist is the world, the art world will tell you that there are these certain cookies that everyone needs to like try and acquire. Yeah. Buff yep. up the CV. And if you don't have those things, then you're not as legitimate or some other bullshit that comes along with it. Yeah. And the great thing about being an artist though is it's so malleable. Like you can honestly do whatever you want and your narrative yeah. can zigzag across. Like how many artists do we know that we admire that are big names that, you know, they tried something for a number of years and they hopped around over here and then they ended up here and then they moved here and then they moved here and they slowly but surely sort of curated this like beautiful life for themselves where they found the thing that they were meant to do and it was all sort of a add up of all of those experiences um, that led them to that place. So that's a saving grace that I always, you know, I mm -hmm. have to remind myself that um, whenever I'm feeling those moments of envy or competition, right? Because like, that's, yeah. I mean, that's another part of it. It's like, we're human, you know, we feel these yep. emotions. Like, um, it's just, how do you, how do we, respond to them in healthy ways that mm -hmm. aren't to the detriment of our work. Um, and one thing, I mean, I think with you, I, I think you have such an interesting narrative and having all of these different experiences, being in the military, going to school, finding art, finding painting, deciding to go to mm -hmm. grad school, moving to Hawaii. Um, when you were in Hawaii, you worked at Whole Foods to like support yourself. Oh, yeah. I love that. Like, I yeah. mean, and that's the hustle, right? Like that's- yeah. I think of like, who is it? 
Bukowski who's like working in the mail room or oh yeah. you know it's like mm-hmm. you know it's like I you know you just you're outside of that bubble like ivory tower bubble and you have these different conversations right and different set of values and like you know it's just like learning how to like articulate you know what you're trying to say in that space which is like pretty much the space that we all so like everyone resides in outside of the university right. honestly and you know it's just you having these normal conversations about just things and and what people care about i think kind of i don't know it just brings you back down i think totally you know in a in a very positive way like yeah it humbles you. all right gerald well thank you so so much i'm so grateful for this conversation this was so fun um i love hearing your voice and you sharing your wisdom and your experience with with um with me i really really appreciate it well thank you jacob uh you know this is i I told you this before but i really value like what you're doing right now and uh and i think you just have such a thoughtful voice and Mm -hmm. so it's really good to hear yeah it's like it's really good to hear so some of the content that's already come out and and what you're doing and and it really came at a really good time because I was just kind of like in my own head and and it's really good to hear other artists so I'm glad you're like also adding contributing to that oh thank you no I really appreciate that and I mean we're talking about you know different zigzags and you know doing doing other things and these offshoots of like we make our work and then we have these other projects and we do or we have a side job or a side hustle but like yeah like treating this podcast is very much in that vein um because i know for me it's like these conversations matter it's like these are the things that sort of stabilize me whenever i'm starting to feel wobbly and lord knows this past year was so wobbly <laughs> couldn't it was like a tightrope like walking on that thing for the first time like didn't know like kind of flailing all over the place so i'm so grateful for our friendship and uh for your words and um thanks jacob thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this week's episode music for this episode was produced by hillary bonome you can find her at only ami on instagram if you would like to support the pod, you can go to the Patreon page at www.patreon.tintamar.com. I have received a couple of donations just from the first two episodes, and I cannot tell you how exciting and grateful it is uh, that I am to receive those payments. Um, and just to know that there are people out there that are supporting these conversations that are important and ultimately getting something from them which is great so if you can donate great and if you can't um, make sure to rate share and subscribe to the show thank you so much and talk to you soon bye